Revelation 2, verse 10. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. This admonition, this warning was not a warning about a literal ten-day period but an indefinite period of time in which persecution would be the plight of those who embraced the Christ and who were faithful to the Christ. And the encouragement is you work through that and live through that and be faithful through that period of persecution. In fact, be faithful until death. Be faithful even if called upon to die as a part of that severe persecution. And we know from the history of the church We know from sources like Fox's Book of Martyrs that there were literally hundreds and thousands who indeed paid the ultimate price for their faithfulness unto death, even in death, and who died in horrific ways, suffered immensely, and yet went to their deaths with a song of praise on their lips because they understood that there was something far greater that awaited them beyond this life. And that if they would but heed the admonition here and elsewhere given to them by inspired men and by inspired books as they were collected and put together from which they could read and be comforted and encouraged, they knew that the promise was true and that indeed a crown of life awaited them. That is... Life itself as the crown is the meaning here. That eternal life would be their crown. Eternal life ultimately in heaven. And yet, they were going to be persecuted, tested in tribulation for an indefinite period of time. Be faithful. That's the key. And... That's the simple but absolutely significant question that we ask today in this lesson. And that question is, are you faithful? If indeed, in order to receive the crown of life, we must be faithful, then we have to ask ourselves, are we, are we faithful? Are we truly among the faithful? Remember, the Lord on one occasion is depicted as saying as he projects himself to the judgment scene, to those who have been faithful, well done, good and faithful servant, good and faithful servant. Faithfulness permeates the scripture as being an absolute prerequisite to our ultimate salvation. Therefore, we must know that we are faithful. Can we know that we are? Indeed, we can. And we can know it based upon the proper standard for knowing it. You know, this question, if you ask it to a great many people in the religious world today in various religious groups, if you ask them, are you faithful, the answer would overwhelmingly, no doubt, be, yes, I am faithful. But upon what are they basing their faithfulness? And who are the faithful? We can't answer that question based upon how we feel about it or some better felt than told experience that we may have 
have had, some misinterpretation of some experience that we believe truly to have been from God and therefore an approval of God, of us, from Him. And many have done that very thing. Many have had so-called experiences that they equate with being divine revelations or divine uh, indications, at least, that indeed they are approved of God. But supposition is not the standard. Scripture is the standard. And so when we ask the question, who are the faithful, the answer has to come from here. Not just from here, but this has to be in harmony with what is here. And we can know what is here. Thanks be to God, we can. And so let's ask the question and answer it in this way, first of all. Who are the faithful? They are those who are feeding. They are those who are feeding. If indeed you have obeyed the gospel of Christ, then in order to remain faithful and to assure faithfulness even unto death, as Revelation 2.10 admonishes, you're going to have to feed. We talked about this at some length in our Bible class this morning as we looked at Psalm 119, verses 9 through 16. How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to God's word. We have to take heed, which means we have to feed. Remember what Peter admonished in 1 Peter 2 and verse 2, as newborn babes, that is, as those who've obeyed the gospel, desire the sincere or pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Now, of course, those who've obeyed the gospel are those who have heard it or read it, those who've been taught it, those who have believed what they have been taught, that is, they believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. They act upon that belief by fully repenting of their sins, turning their back upon their sinful life, by confessing sweetly the name of Christ before men, that they believe Jesus to be the Christ, the Son of the living God, and then they complete their obedience and become part of the faithful by being buried in baptism for the remission of sins. But who are the faithful thereafter? And how do we remain faithful thereafter? Those who are feeding are going to be those who are among the faithful. We have to feed, as we talked about this morning. Not just read, but feed upon the Word of God. And that takes time. That takes effort. That takes mental industry. That takes meditation and contemplation, as we talked about in Bible class. That may take meditation and memorization, a good combination in order to, to grow in such a way as to become stronger every day. On one occasion, as Jesus lived among men, there was one who said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. Well, how, can, how can God today or Christ help our unbelief? Not through some direct miraculous means. Not available, not necessary. He helps our unbelief by providing us with his word. And it is up to us to feed upon it in order to increase our faith and to ensure that we will be able to meet the temptations that arise. You know, we talked about this morning in Bible class, 1 Peter 4 and verse 1. And let's look at that passage again. Because it certainly relates to what we're talking about here in terms of feeding and the positive result of feeding as we should upon the Word of God. 
We're talking about in the context of Revelation 2.10, those who were suffering. We're, co- we're talking about in the context of 1 Peter 4.1, those who were suffering. Persecution, physical persecution. And Peter writes, therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. The same mind to do what? The same mind to suffer. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Sinlessly perfect? No. Susceptible as he once may have been to sin? No. No longer susceptible to many of those same temptations that would have otherwise overthrown him before he fed as he should upon the word of God and grew stronger and more able to meet those temptations. Why is it that people who've been in the church for 30 or 40 years sometimes make statements or do things that are absolutely disappointing and amazing and that you would not anticipate hearing or seeing from longtime members of the church? Why does that happen? And does it ever happen? Yes, tragically it does. Why? Because they haven't fed as they should. They haven't fed as they should, meaning taking it in and applying it and, and growing and reaching a point to where temptations will not affect them as they once affected them. And so Peter here says, if you'll arm yourself with the same mind to suffer in the flesh, in other words, you know for a fact that you would suffer in the flesh if you were called upon to do so. That means you've grown by feeding upon the Word of God to the point that you'd give your life for the cause of Christ. When you reach a point that you would give your life for the cause of Christ and you know you would do that, you have every confidence that you would, then um, what about tonight at 6 o'clock or thereabouts and the temptation arises to maybe finish watching whatever television program you had started or doing something else versus getting up and coming to service. How strong will the temptation be to do that? It won't be a temptation. It won't enter your mind not to be here tonight at 6 o'clock if you're able to be. Why? Because you've fed and you've grown to that point that you're on autopilot (laughs) to a great extent when it comes to certain things. You don't have to think about whether I'm going to make a decision consciously every time the doors are open. I did that. (laughs) I've done that. That's autopilot. That's autopilot. And so feeding, as we should, will bring us a joy and a peace that many people tragically don't understand or appreciate even though they may have been in the church 20 or 30 years. Why? Because they haven't applied themselves to those things that will bring about that joy and that peace. And keep them from being tempted as they once were. See, verse 2 goes on that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. When you grow as you should and feed as you should upon the word of God, you're going to reach a point where you don't think about living in in the flesh or after fleshly things for the rest of your life. You're living for the will of God. Those who are feeding are among those who are faithful. Second part of our answer is those who are focused. And it closely relates to feeding, doesn't it? And it reminds us of what Paul wrote in Colossians 3, beginning at verse 1. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, 
where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above. We hear the term mindset a lot today. He has a certain mindset about something. She has a certain mindset about something. Paul says, yes, you need to have a mindset. You need to set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. And why is that, Paul? For you died. For you died. You just didn't get sick of the world. You died to the world when you became a Christian. You're not just sick of the world. You died to it. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. And now when Christ, who is our what? Who is our life. Not when Christ, who is a pretty important part of our life. No. When Christ, who is our life, everything centers around Him. Everything centers around Christ. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Because you know what you're going to hear? You're going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many. Enter into the joy of your Lord. When he says enter into the joy of your Lord, is he saying, now you've been miserable all your Christian life. You've just been living the Christian life out of duty, hoping to be joyful when it's over. No, he's not saying the joy only begins when you enter into eternity with him. You're just going to be in the joy of being in the Lord's presence, an intensified joy. But that joy is to be present here and now for those who are truly focused and feeding. Because Jesus said in John 10, 10, I'm come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. When? When this life is over? No. Here and hereafter. That's what God wants for the faithful. Those who are focused but also those who are far-sighted. Those who are far-sighted. And that brings us to Second Peter chapter 1. And what Peter writes about being far-sighted in that great section of Scripture that we call the Christian graces many times. As he writes in verse 5 beginning, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith, which tells us what? Faith is the foundation. Faith is the foundation. Add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen to what he says. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted. That's why the faithful are far-sighted. If you lack these beautiful Christian graces, Peter says you're short-sighted. And we need to be far-sighted. Even to blindness if you're short-sighted, he says, and has forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Therefore, verse 10, brethren, be even more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. What a beautiful passage that tells us farsightedness, spiritual farsightedness is what we must have if we are to be among the faithful. Adding those beautiful Christian graces, building upon faith, and adding to our faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and so on, 
and then crowning it, crowning it with love. Crowning it with love that ties everything together. The beautiful bond of perfection that ties all of the Christian graces together. And love permeates everything that we do as Christians. That's farsightedness. And we need to be farsighted if we're going to be among the faithful who hear, well done, good and faithful servant. But also, those who are forgiving. Those who are forgiving are among the faithful. And Ephesians 4.32, and there are other passages that could be cited, but Ephesians 4.32 summarizes it beautifully for us as Paul writes, and be kind to one another tender-hearted, forgiving one another just as God in Christ also forgave you. Now, we've talked about before the difference between a forgiving spirit and extending actual forgiveness, and there is a difference between the two. We should always have a forgiving spirit. We should always have the desire, in other words, to forgive those who, who sin against us. But so let's, let's make sure they have sinned against us. Let's make sure there is a valid reason for us to desire their repentance so that we can forgive. And let's not, uh, let's not confuse uh, misunderstanding, misapprehension, or whatever with actual sin. But if someone truly has sinned against us, then we have an obligation, brother or sister in Christ, to go to that individual and give that individual an opportunity to rectify that. And our desire should be that that person will do just that. And if the person does not rectify what is truly a sin, and we know it to be sin, then we cannot extend forgiveness to that individual. Repentance has to be forthcoming. You see, there's a qualifying phrase here in Ephesians 4.32, even or just as God in Christ also forgave you. Did God, through Jesus Christ, ever forgive anyone who will not meet the terms that he has set forth in order to be forgiven in his word? Well, of course not. But does God have a forgiving spirit? Does Christ have a forgiving spirit toward all men? Of course he does. Remember 1 Timothy 2, 3 and 4? For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God, God's dream, if you will, is that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. But is God going to save all men just because he desires that they would be saved? Well, of course not. They have to meet his terms of forgiveness. Well, as God's children, we operate on the same basis. I desire, I desire the repentance of all men. I'm sure you do if you're a Christian here. But can you, can you forgive someone who has sinned if that person will not repent of the sin? No, you can do all you can to try to help the person see the need to to repent, you can pray and you can, you can encourage and you can work in a good way to do that. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of what? Paul says, gentleness or meekness. And so we should work toward the, toward the repentance of all who've sinned so that we can extend forgiveness. But we have to have that forgiving spirit. And then when repentance does occur, then indeed, we must extend forgiveness just as God does. And when we fail to do so, we will not be forgiven ourselves. 
Jesus made that clear in the Sermon on the Mount. If you will not forgive others, you will not be forgiven. And our attitude toward our brothers and sisters in Christ should be indeed an attitude where if, if a wrong occurs, we lovingly and tenderly and in gentleness seek to bring about repentance if it's a sin. And then we readily and happily extend forgiveness to those who repent. We can't be among the faithful without being forgiving. But then there's another one. Another answer to the question, who are the faithful? We're forgetful. We're forgetful. Those who are faithful are forgetful. That really ties somewhat to to forgiveness, doesn't it? When someone has repented of something, I need to work very hard to forget all about it. If it's taken care of, God has forgotten it, I need to do my best to forget it too, and I certainly need to forgive. And I certainly don't need to be holding any grudges about anything toward anyone. And so I need to be forgetful. I need to have a good, a good, a good forgetter <laughs> as well as a good memory. And a passage that reminds us of that is Philippians 3. 13 and 14, where Paul wrote, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. I haven't arrived, in other words, he says, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I'm forgetting the successes, the failures, the forgiven sins, I'm forgetting. I'm not letting anything in my past hinder my progress in the present as I move toward my ultimate goal, and that ultimate goal being heaven. And so I need to forget those things in my own life that have been truly forgiven. You know, sometimes people beat themselves up unnecessarily, have more trouble forgiving themselves than God has in forgiving them. And that can be a detriment to our faithfulness in the present and in the future. And so truly, if we have indeed, if we have indeed met God's terms of forgiveness, then we need to forgive ourselves as well. And we need to forget those things that need to be left behind as we focus, as we talked about earlier, on the things that are above and keep moving forward. And don't let the past be a hindrance to the present or to reaching our future goal. And then, the faithful are also those who are fatigued. Hebrews 4.11, and we've talked about this passage before, in the King James Version says, let us labor to enter into that rest, that eternal rest. The, King, the New King James says, let us give diligence to enter into it. Let us labor and I've asked this question before. Have you ever seen a passage in your Bible that says, let us rest in order to enter into the rest? No, it's not there, is it? You don't find, let us rest to enter into the rest, any more than you will find the no-talent man in the parable of the talents in Matthew 25. Five and two and one, but none, not a none, <laughs> which says what? We all have some ability. And that we're to use that ability until what? 
until death. And as we've said before, that does not mean that you can do, if you're an older person, what you could do 20 years ago. <laughs> no, but you can do something, can't you? And in some ways, someone who's 20 years older than you were, you can do a lot more than you could when, a lot more than you could when you were 20 years younger in terms, hopefully, of what? The ground you have gained by feeding. If you've truly applied yourself to feeding, then physically, as you get older, you may not be able to do what you could physically as a younger person, but you'll have a whole lot more up here with which to help those who are 20 or 30 years younger in their walk with the Lord. But we've got to use that. We've got to, we've got to be fatigued. We've got to be fatigued. And the last things on our minds before death occurs or the Lord comes again ought to be, am I still thinking and focused on heavenly things? I think again about our brother Ted. <laughs> and one of the last things he ever said to me, do we have any more of those muscle and shovel books? Now, you see, that's, that's wearing yourself out in the service of the Lord. That's what that is. <laughs> and a man who was Ted's fellow elder at one time, under whom I was privileged to serve years ago, and I've mentioned this before, Brother Robert Taylor, used to pray often in his public prayers, Lord, wear us out in your service, and then take us home. I love that expression. Wear us out in your service and then take us home. We need to be fatigued. We need to wear ourselves out in the service of the Lord, doing whatever we can for as long as we can. And then go home. And then go home. And finally, those who are faithful are those who finish. We've got to finish. Be faithful until death. That is, even in death. Not five minutes before death, but faithful even in death. And I'll give you the crown of life. Which was certainly relevant to those under persecution at this time. Some of you are going to be called upon to die. You're going to have to be faithful even in death. You can't be faithful up till five minutes beforehand when some emperor or some ruler says, you either renounce Christ right now or five minutes from now, you will be dead. And you can't say, well, I have been faithful for lo these many years, but surely, no, I can't do this. I cannot. I cannot let them do to me what they're about to do to me, so therefore, okay, I'll give it up. No, you haven't finished. You haven't finished. So we have to make sure that we finish. But the key is that if we'll follow all these other things, we will. If we will feed and stay focused and far-sighted and forgiving and forget those things that need to be left behind and we'll just wear ourselves out in the service of the Lord then we'll be prepared to finish no matter 
no matter what that finish involves. That finish may be involved dying in your sleep peacefully. Or that finish may be an excruciatingly painful and drawn out illness. Or we could live to see the time when that finish involves standing before some authority who says either deny Christ or you'll be dead in five minutes. That could happen. And we have to have confidence that if it did, we too would go to our deaths with a song of praise on our lips because we truly are among the faithful. So will you finish? That's the question we have to ask ourselves honestly. But then we need to ask, have you, have you started? Have you started? Or have you fallen? Well, if you haven't started, there is but one way, and we've talked about it already. You must believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, John 8, 24, or die in your sins. You must repent or perish, Luke 13, 3, verse 5. You must confess that Jesus is the Christ. Whoever confesses me before men, him will I confess before my Father in heaven. And yes, you must be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. As Jesus said in Mark 16, 16, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. That's how you start. That's how you start. And here's how you finish, as we've talked about this morning. Be faithful, even until death, and I will give you the crown of life. And if you have begun, but you have not continued, as you should and know you need to come home, we plead with you to do that now as we stand to sing to encourage you.